Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Gorgeous ones, Dr. Lucy here. Just a reminder that our seven-day no sugar challenge is starting very soon. The challenge goes from January the 30th, but of course we have a two-day prep, so you can get started on January the 28th. Seven days for $7. Just go to our website, all the W's, rlmedicine.com forward slash no sugar. And today I am super excited to introduce the most spectacular guest, Penny Amor has completely transformed, not yet her health, but her mindset. And I am thrilled to introduce you to her because some of the pearls that she shares with us are just mind-blowing. Gorgeous Penny, I would love you to be sharing some of your story with our fabulous listeners because I can tell you now, you are A, a superstar, B, not perfect, and C, have a wonderful story to share. So, lovely woman, if you could perhaps give us a few details, we would love to hear you. Okay, so I am 48 I was born what they considered back then a diabetes or gestational diabetes baby. I have had a continual weight problem since then, even as a young child. And for as long as I can remember, it's always been an issue for everybody else, always. And I'm the eldest of three. So I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And I used to always say to people, what I don't understand is we all live in the same house. We eat the same meals. We have the same food options, you know. How is it that I have this problem, but they don't? Not that I wasn't loved. I felt really like something was wrong with me, inherently wrong with me. So I was in Catholic primary school and got to grade three and my holy communion was coming up and my mum and dad were very much like don't you want to be thin like all the other girls in a pretty white dress oh god and my dad had been on and off weight watches for many years and had had quite a lot of success he'd lost quite a bit of weight and I decided well I think I decided, I don't know, because in hindsight now there was probably a lot of directing going on, but I decided to become a Weight Watchers member. So our family doctor signed a letter saying he thought it would be best and they allowed me to join up. So over the course of grade three, while preparing for communion, I lost all of my weight and became a lifetime member aged nine. Nine. Oh, my God. What does a nine-year-old know about lifelong dieting and eating and, you know, maintenance and any of these things? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. You know, as long as you got on the scale each week and things were dropping and you were changing. and So already you can imagine then at nine you were being conditioned that you were more acceptable if you were thin. Mm-hmm. And it was better for my health and it was better for, you know, all of these things. 
And I was a ballerina. I loved ballet. I loved it. I had terrible coordination. I was the most clumsy kid, couldn't ride a bike. And somebody suggested to mum and dad that dancing would help with my coordination. And it did. It did, absolutely. But I was always the little fairy elephant in a tutu. Was yeah. one of the terms given to me. Do you know what I mean? It was an affectionate term and you don't know to think of it any other way as a kid. Do you know what I mean? And got to the end of year concert. I think it was my first year of dancing. And of course you've got all the sequins and the costumes and the everything. And I was I think six if I'm right. I was six, five or six. And They had this costume, but they were like, it's not going to fit her. So either we have to work out a different costume for her compared to all the other girls or exclude her from the routine. And my mum instantly pulled me out of that dancing school (gasps) and moved me to another one. Oh, good. I was thinking you were about to say she pulled you out of the routine. No, no. She did pull me out of the routine because she wasn't happy, but she moved me to a different school. However, I did lose the weight at age nine. I was still dancing. It's funny because I say introvert and everybody goes, oh, my gosh, you talk so much and you whatever. And it always reminds me of a movie based on a Maeve Binchy book where she says, I might look like I have the height of a rhino, but comments still get me like anybody else. They still hurt. And that pretty much has been the summation. You know, there isn't a single thing any person on the face of this planet could say to me that I haven't said 10 times worse to myself, unfortunately. And... One of the concepts that really struck me when I started with the 12-week mind-body rebalance was Dr. Mary obviously was holding Max and she said, if you wouldn't say to this beautiful baby what you're saying, then you shouldn't be saying it to yourself. And she got us to write down one of the tasks, just write down some of the things, you know, before she said that. And then when she said that, I'm looking at my list and I'm in tears because I'm like, I would never say that to another soul. Like not a single person on this earth, doesn't matter who they are. And then I suddenly realised just how much hurt (laughs) was there. And so it's funny because as I say, you look back And you see all these pivotal or key moments, you know, where the road went one way or the other, even before you were making decisions for yourself, really. It's just so ingrained now that trying to challenge it is really difficult. And I never could have done that on my own. And I had never been in a position where I had been able to find somebody who would help me do that. You know, I'd been to see dietitians. I've, like most people, been on, or like most women anyway, been on every diet imaginable. 
you know, everything from the soup diet to Jenny Craig to Gloria Marshall to Weight Watchers to um, the CSIRO this and to the, you know, don't eat this and that, you know, and everything, everything, been there, done that. Another one of those moments for me was when I was on the soup diet and I'd been doing it for seven days and by the sixth day I had started passing out and then vomiting started and I passed out in the shower on the seventh day and went to work and had a really icky moment where I thought I was going to be sick, turned for the bathroom and ended up ended up being sick all over the perspex window of my boss's office oh my goodness (laughs) and I'm just standing there horrified horrified and I get to the doctors that night and I'm like I can't do this like this is how sick I am and he said yes but the good news is you've lost seven kilos in one week isn't that amazing yeah oh my god are we talking the same thing here? Like, do you understand what I'm saying to you, you know? And I just, the older I got, I became more and more adverse to doctors. I got to a point uh, about three years ago where I had topped out at 165 kilos. I had type 2 diabetes. I had severe osteoarthritis in feet, ankles. My knees were in really poor condition and I was only 45 at the time and I had the body of someone in their 90s or worse and my daughter came home and said, I want to try this and she was 16 at the time. And I've always walked the fine line because Michaela was a gestational diabetes baby herself. I am a fourth generation type 2 diabetic. The odds are stacked pretty high for Michaela. Yeah, you've got some um, yeah, some genes that are not, not in your favour. No, exactly. And she had just been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I also have. My mum had also had huge gynecological issues and resulted in a full hysterectomy at 41. So it's a fan, definitely a long family history. So I said to her, okay, we'll give this a try. I slowly but surely did a lot of research, found Thermo Foodie and the Chef. Um, I found Aaron Day. I found Megan Allen. And so I was very keen to find people based here in Australia and started putting information together and started following ketogenic protocols. But I have always lived as a perfectionist. I'm very, very bad with my perfectionism. So everything must be perfect or I'm failing. And Life is not perfect. (laughs) I have learnt the hard way. There is no such thing. So what I was basically doing was continually setting myself up for a guaranteed failure. And, of course, as many, many people know, 
the stuff in your head, of course, then goes, well, we've been here before and you should have seen this coming and, of course, you weren't going to succeed and, of course, this and, of course, that. And I was determined it wasn't happening this time. So over the course of almost two years, between the three of us, we lost 122 kilos. Michael, because he's a man and they suck sometimes, excuse my French, yeah. <laughs> uh, lost the most with doing the least. Yes, the least pain. Um, and so he had lost just over 50 kilos. I had lost 42 kilos and... Michaela had lost 20-something kilos. So everybody wanted to know what our secret was and what the magic potion was and the quick fix and the whatever else, and it's like no such thing, unfortunately. And the minute you tell somebody they're not allowed to, well, that you're choosing not to eat bread anyway, it's not about not allowed, but that you're choosing not to eat bread, pasta and rice, the horrified looks are unbelievable. I was accused a couple of times of child abuse. No, I'm not joking. Um, God. So I was apparently child abuse with my 16-year-old daughter, who instigated the whole thing, may I just say. Yes. <laughs> and so for giving her, you know, whole foods that she's that she likes and chosen. Yeah, yeah correct. So because you know, cauliflower, broccoli, and chicken breast are so terrible, you know. And then COVID hit. And we had my parents come and stay with us who are divorced and have been divorced for 20-something years at that point. We were confined to this house. (laughs) Mum returned to stay with my brother on the farm. So she was only there a short time, but Dad stayed on. And it became a situation where, like many people during COVID, Dad was turning to food for comfort. At first, one snuck in. So I was like, oh, I've just had a half or something from Baker's Delight with Dad and he's, you know, and it's all good and it doesn't matter. I'm in control. And after six months of lockdown, uh, it was fair to say control had gone right out the window. I now wasn't tracking it anymore. We were living back on bread and pasta and rice and all these things and the weight was stacking on for me in particular and I had lost control again completely then at the start of last year there was a lot of stress my sleep hygiene has always been a bit off I have bipolar so as part of my bipolar I find sleep very difficult and my quality of sleep is not great and it's not uncommon unfortunately for me to go two to three days without sleeping at all So particularly during a manic episode, I ended up in a DKA, so which is a diabetic ketoacidosis, and uh, spent the day in hospital. They took the fluids away the minute I arrived at the hospital, told me that it wasn't a DKA, that I just wasn't looking after myself, and left me laying in emergency for the day. And I left the hospital with a script for insulin and told that was it, I was on insulin now. I lost my mum. So we moved house a week later. So we were in the midst of a huge move around the bay. So it was very full on. And those are the things I manage. 
my husband is an amazing provider, an amazing man, but the day-to-day life stuff is me. So I'm trying to manage all of that and still not really paying attention to what had just happened to me, trying to gloss over it. Yeah, put it in the too hard basket. Yep. I had to relinquish the job because there was just no way to do it. So I'd only been there three weeks. So that was another failure. So I'm chalking all these great failures up for myself. And then mum needed me, family needed me, everybody needed me. So we'll just ignore me and we won't, you know. And the whole time I'm working with the diabetes education unit and the insulin is growing and growing and growing. So we lost mum at the end of July, unfortunately. And... I had a moment of I just lost my mind pretty much and because grief, of course, is a very funny thing. And I stopped taking all my medication, including my insulin. So I boycotted everything. So no bipolar medication, cold turkey, uh, which for anybody who doesn't know, you don't stop those medications, cold turkey. They pretty much, you know, do very nasty things. Stopped the insulin, cold turkey, stopped everything. And stopped eating. So I did a seven-day fast where all I had was water and pretty much checked out of life and refused to do anything. And after seven days, agreed to a small meal of steamed vegetables. So can I just go back a step? What, What was the thought process behind this? Why were you doing it? So I was very mad because my mum had done all the right things and everything asked of her and she'd taken all the medications and she'd done all of the things and it hadn't kept her alive no and I was very mad at the world I was very mad at pharmaceutical companies who were just preying on people like me and I got a bit caught up to be perfectly honest in the mindset of Somebody out there's got a cure to cancer, but because it makes the pharmaceutical industry so much money, they don't want to bring it out. You know, all those sort of really dark, really mad, really not based in reality stuff, but that people drop in, you know, and because I was grieving and I wasn't in a headspace to be rational and all these things that are filtering into you, particularly from social media, people are putting things up going, isn't it wrong how this happened and isn't it wrong? And, you know, and you're going, oh, okay. And so I was very much like, well, I'm going to stop all of it. So screw them. They can't have my money. They can't have my life. They can't have my body. And I'm just not going to eat until I'm ready to eat well and I'll fix this myself. But I was a very angry human, very angry. And a very combative human at that point. So I registered for the wait list, gave it some thought, then thought I wasn't going to do it. And then in a moment of absolute, we're not going to think about this, I chose the three-month plan and I went, that's it, done, I've committed now, they've got my credit card, too bad, I've paid the first one, I'm doing it. Yep. So I started. Do you know? Um, do you know what this reminds me of? We had a, an interview with a, a lady called Lynn Forsyth last year, and I'll link at the episode in the show notes. And she started it to sort of prove to everyone that it wouldn't work <laughs> because she was so sure that nothing would happen. And then she could say to them, "See, I did it, and it didn't work." 
But uh, if you listen to that episode, you will see that there were some life-changing moments for her as well. Absolutely, and I have heard it, and yes, very much so. So, well, this was me, so I was like, oh, okay, and oh, this could be a bit airy-fairy, and, you know, it's probably going to fail, but you know what? Look, I've committed the money now, so I have to do it, you know, like even if then I think I was two weeks in to the 12 weeks and I developed pneumonia and wound up in hospital. So I had pneumonia and a pretty severe infection and I was in a really bad way and I wound up in the hospital. And I was rushed by ambulance. My sister was talking to me and I had called her. My blood sugar had dropped to 3.1 or something like that. And I was shaking quite badly. All that stuff that had happened before had started to happen, but for the opposite reason, because by that stage I wasn't eating at all again because I was so ill, I didn't want to, and, you know, all these things. And the diabetic diet comes that is so well known in a public hospital. (laughs) So, oh, we believe you're a diabetic. Yes, I am. Okay. We're going to stop insulin because you've had a hypo and you're not really eating. So, you know, yep, that made sense. Fair enough. All good. But the diabetic diet comes and it is two wheat bags, skim milk, two pieces of cold dry toast, margarine, a tub of fruit in sugar syrup, and I think that was it. And I just had this moment. And I had been making little changes slowly as the 12 weeks had started, but I really hadn't committed to it. I was using insulin as a crutch and it was like, wow. And by that stage, I was on 52 units of insulin a day as a type 2 diabetic, and that's a lot. And they were saying that within two days, because my levels were still quite high, I would be going up again. So 52 units and increasing. Anyway, I looked at this diabetic diet and I was like, you've got to be joking. And I remember taking a photo of it and posting it in the group. And people were like, you're joking. And suddenly a big thing happened for me. Because it was big for me because all of these people I really, I didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Like these were strangers to me effectively start posting And they're like, what hospital are you in? What part of Melbourne are you in? You know, can we come and drop you something? You know, can we? Like these complete strangers. And I was like, why would someone do that for me? Like, I I don't understand why a complete stranger would want to do that for me or want to help. And it really turned for me at that point because I suddenly realised that A, I wasn't the only one in this situation. B, although I felt up to that point like this had been a really lonely road, even though I was surrounded by people all the time, I'd always felt very isolated, very alone in a room full of people. Do you know what, though? That's because all the other times you felt judged, shamed, different. And you had also internalised that so the voice in your head was always judging yourself, shaming yourself to sort of for motivation and 
suddenly people are showing you kindness. Yep. And I'm just going to say it as it is, which is I have lived a life of feeling completely unworthy of kindness, of love, of acceptance, of anything good, really. Yeah. Do you know what that stems from, though? That stems from back, right back when you were a little girl, when you were six and you were the fairy elephant, when you were on Weight Watchers to do the communion that because unless you lost weight and within, then you weren't acceptable. Yeah. <sighs> and and that's exactly right. And And one of the things that I say people, particularly medical professionals, would say to me all the time, don't you ever wonder how you got this way? I'm like, no, I know exactly how I got this way. I can tell you because I literally spent my life in a battle of wits with my mother who it was like, well, if I'm not enough like I am, then screw you. I'm not doing anything so that you'll accept me. And so ultimately, and I own this 100%, this was me, not her, but ultimately in order to get her approval and to get what I felt was her love. I stood my ground and went, you're going to learn to like me the way I am or this is never changing because while it bothers you so much and while you feel like this is the one thing you can't control because I have all the power in this one situation, I have all the control in this one situation And I can't tell you when that thinking started, but I can tell you I wasn't even 10 years old when that thinking started. So do you know one of the most amazing things in all of this, Pen, that I think is that, as you said, for 40 years you have been judged and shamed and you've internalised that, so you've judged and shamed yourself and that that hasn't worked. (laughs) Like that... That doesn't work. So for anybody out there who thinks that they're going to motivate somebody by judging them or shaming them or suggesting. My mum would call it tough love, Lucy. Tough love. Sometimes we just have to give tough love. Yeah, well, I think that, no, it will not work. And if you are in a situation where you've got somebody who, who you love, who perhaps you're worried about, for God's sake, don't use shame to motivate them because you will send them further and further away from where they need to be. You know, it sounds trite, but love and kindness are what we need to get well, to heal, to trust ourselves. You've also, you recognize at the start, you're still vulnerable. You haven't forged new neural pathways. So you're making the situation as easy as possible for yourself And now over time you've forged new pathways and that pathway is really about deciding what what you want, not what you can't eat, but what you want to eat. And again, as the perfectionist who is giving herself grace that she may be soothing but with cherry tomatoes and chicken, it's like great choice, like go you. And accepting that it doesn't have to be perfect, does not have to be perfect. No, and in fact, in the imperfection is the satisfaction 
you know, because I'm human, things happen, I'm still going to make mistakes, I'm still going to fall down. The real test of the change in me is that I get myself up immediately, dust myself off, acknowledge what's going on and keep going. And I have never been that person, you know, never been that person. I have been the hit the stuff it button for a month, not even a day, (laughs) you know. Yes. I screwed this month, you know, we're done, you know. I've probably even been guilty at times of going stuff it, this calendar year's out, you know, like we're done. (laughs) It's, you know, summer's passed, so, you know, let's not worry because we're going into winter now and it's all about comfort and, you know, this and that. So Yeah, and I can wear big clothes and get away with it. Yeah, exactly right. And so uh, whereas this is absolutely not that. If I have a fall, it is that old adage of if you fall off the bike, you get up and you get straight back on, you know, and that's a very new concept to me. So, and I love that it's one of the things I've been able to implement so early on for me, like, because it's still only four months. Like, you know, I sit here talking about this stuff and, and as I say, oh, I said at the very beginning, in some ways it feels like last week, but in other ways it feels like decades, you know, because it has been so profound, it has been so challenging. And I still have those moments where the tantrum in my brain happens, you know, with the little toddler that goes, why, this isn't fair, I don't deserve this, why is this happening to me? Well, hang on. <laughs> Let's just re-look at that. Let's reframe this a different way, you know. And so those are hugely profound things. You know, I'm after doing this wheel last week in Inner Momentum, you know, I found that so difficult because literally every part of my wheel was scored really low, you know, and except for which I was able to take something from actually because community, relationships and intimacy, you know, I was actually really good with myself about scoring that because I'm really proud of what I've achieved there and with my husband and daughter and with my family members because, you know, three years ago there was a lot of, oh, no, this is silly and this is a fad and this is this and this is that. Now, you know, like today I I put... A message up. We have a, a family group chat in Messenger, and I put a message up saying, "Podcast interview about to commence. Shitting bricks, in all honesty, <laughs> with this shock face." And my daughter was the first to respond within seconds, saying, "You're going to smash it. Have fun." But then my sister typed, and I got, "They want your truth." No guesswork there, just realness and honesty. No need for shitting bricks. This is a chat about your reality and you, my sister, love a chat and you know your truth all too well. You take a deep breath and a sip of water and get ready for a chat. If you inspire or give hope or relieve just one person, then that is success and all one can hope for. Love you proud of you for just being you oh that's so beautiful I've got a little goosebumps yeah I was uh, 
that's just such a huge moment because it's not that I didn't know they all love me and all of that sort of stuff, but there's been a real acceptance of you do you, you know, you do you, and and this is what it's all about. But do you know what else, what pen, what is in there is that on one level you go, yeah, I know they love me and all of that sort of stuff, but on that deeper level you were still of that belief that you weren't worthy of their love, that you didn't deserve it, that you weren't good enough. And that that's the bit that's changing and has really changed. And that's what they're seeing, which is what's really nice. It's not that she said those words. It's that it's not just talk because I have spent a lot of time in my life being just talk and I know that. But they are seeing action, you know, and I remember being in Girl Guides and they used to sing this song. They used to sing a song called This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine, you know. And I have finally as an adult realised exactly what that song is all about and it's in the doing and the making mistakes and the falling over and the being accountable and the acknowledging it and the ownership and all of those things that is making them see the real beauty of anybody's journey, no matter what that journey is, you know, because it's never going to be perfect and it's never going to run to plan and it's never going to be smooth because that is just not life. It's just not life. And if I can achieve anything, I want what I call my kids, so my nieces, my nephews, my godchildren, all that sort of stuff. I want them to see possibility. I want them to see possibility that people are capable of change and that it's okay to mess up. It's okay to realise you did something wrong. But own it, apologise if necessary, and move on and make it different because you can do that. And if all the people in my life hadn't given me second, third, 475th chances, I don't know where I'd be right now, you know, and and that's okay. You know, that's okay. Absolutely. Oh, gorgeous woman. I tell you what, your little light is shining. It definitely is. So, I think that your your story today, it will inspire people out there. It will see that, you know, I mean, look, we bang on a lot that weight loss is not a meal plan. It's more than a meal plan because it is. It is this personal journey, this journey of self-discovery, self-acceptance, knowing that you are good enough as you are and that you're doing this you're doing this for you, not for anyone else's approval, not so anyone else will love you. You're doing it because, you know, you deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, 100% because I want more. I want more from my life. I love that. I you know, love and I've got, I've got big plans. <laughs> I've got big plans. I'm starting a Bachelor of Science in two months and I am going to complete the first year of this Bachelor this year no matter what. It's I'm going all the way. And... I want to try and get back into part-time work and we're moving back to our happy place, which is down to the Mornington Peninsula. And 
we're making decisions that are for our happiness, for our betterment, instead of sitting around and worrying about what everyone else is going to think and how it's going to affect them and how they're going to feel and how I'm not moving to the moon, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still going to be here for everybody. But my sister has taught me one thing. She's amazing and she's been studying as a mature age student in her 40s with three kids, two on the spectrum, working as well as to become a nurse because it was what she always wanted to do. And she battles MS and she has all of these things on her plate. And I think she's an amazing human. And she said to me, Pen, your one challenge this year is to get good with saying no. Because sometimes no is just as much about love as yes. You know, it's okay to say no and it's okay to say these are the things I want for me and the only way to achieve them is to prioritise my needs and in return you're going to get a better version of me anyway as a byproduct. And as a byproduct of all of that, I also get to be a healthier human who lives a lot longer and a lot happier life. Oh, darling, I love that. I love that. Beautiful woman, thank you so much for being on the podcast. The gems you have shared have been phenomenal. I am so happy to be watching your journey. Given you're moving to the Mornington Peninsula and I have set myself a challenge of 55 coffees of coffee with 55 different people this year, I think that you'll be on my list. That would <laughs> and, be great. Uh, I would love that. <laughs> And uh, and thank you for everything that you do to commute to um, I get that you share with the RLM community because you know you're you yeah, know that's you are really raw. selfish because I get so much more out than I give it's ah, it's so no. true I do but you know what it's the vulnerability that is inspiring for people it is that bit that going oh god I, you know I'm not perfect nobody wants to hear the perfect version which is never true anyway because that's just unhelpful the helpful story is the whole story and that's what I love you are a real you're a real person I love it thank you good all right beautiful listeners have the most wonderful wonderful week and we will catch up with you next time bye for now Gorgeous ones, if you'd like more information on the 12-week mind-body rebalance, the next round starts February the 11th. If you go to our website, you'll see it on the front page there, all the W's, rlmedicine.com. Just click on the link and it'll take you to everything you need to know. Bye for now. So my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links, provides general information only. It is not a substitute, nor is it intended to provide individualized medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor can it be construed as such. Please consult your doctor for any 
medical concerns. <laughs>